Blog Talk Radio. This is Mark Grace, and you're listening to Ready to Unload with Cal and Sandpete. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Ready to Unload with Cal and Sam Pete on this Wednesday, July the 13th, 2011. It is 9.30 Eastern Standard Time. We are Cal and Sam Pete. We have a great show coming up for you this episode. We're going to have Patrick Blood from SNY, a Mets blogger. We're going to talk about the Mets trading K-Rod. We're also going to talk about Daniel Alderondo's article that he put on www.rtqsports.com today. About the Yankees and the Red Sox coming out of the break. Who's going to win the AL East? Calstradamus knows, but is he telling? And also, we're going to do in the fun load tonight, we're going to talk about sports cliches. you got to know them, you got to memorize them. Which one should go away forever? That's all coming up now on episode 1119 of Ready to Unload with Cal and Sam Pete. It's Wednesday night, 9.30. We're Cal and Sam Pete. We are ready to unload. And a hearty hello and good evening to everybody. My name is Steve Sampietro. Welcome to Ready to Unload with Cal and Sam Pete, episode 1119 on this Wednesday, July the, 12, uh, July the 13th, 2011. And let's get it going. Let's get it on. Let's get this episode on and bring in my co-host, my partner in crime, my partner in grime, my partner in all things. Sublime, Mr. Brian Calniva Calpino Caliente. Hi, Brian. Hi, Steve. How are you? Hi. Hello. How you feeling? I am a little under the weather. I am up. Uh, I'm a professional. I'm an all right above it. You know what I mean? I'm like Nigel Tufnell. You know what I mean? It does bother me. <laughs> and I, I want larger bread. Uh, I'm good, man. I got a little cold. I'm a little under the weather. Not feeling the best, but we're going to push through because we got, we got sports to talk, Cal. Well, you're a gamer. That's It's always been said about you. You're a See? gamer. There's the cliche. Look what I know. There. See what I did? You tied it into the fun load for later. Uh, we're going to do the RTU fun load later on and talk about sports cliches, which ones suck, which, well... Most of them do, but which ones we can keep? Maybe there's a few we can live with, Cal. Maybe there's a couple that could stay. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. We also are we're going to be joined by uh, Patrick Flood in just a few minutes from uh, SNY Blogs. 
uh, and of course his Patrick Flood blog all about the Mets. He is uh, Cal. He is funny. He is charming. He is erudite. He is. Uh, I sound like I'm describing Apollo Creed before a fight. <laughs> the master of disaster. The king of sting. The count of Monte Fisto. Uh, Patrick Flood will be joining us uh, in just a few minutes to talk about the Mets. They made the first move, Cal. That's it. Fire sale. Everything must go. Don't get me started. Sandy Allison trades uh, one K-Rod to the Brewers. I think this is the greatest thing that ever happened. We'll talk to uh, to Patrick all about that. And then we'll discuss a uh, little Yankees-Red Sox as well. We have... Uh, a new uh, writer for the site, Cal, Daniel Alderondo. Yes. Uh, who is uh, going to be writing for us on www. Do I even need to say the three W's anymore? You do. Sometimes it doesn't work if you don't put them in. So. Wow. Are you sure. are you our new IT guy? Yeah, that's. <laughs> also, the first the first tip is if it's not working, turn it on and then uh, turn it off to put it back on. Can you get it delete. Yeah, that should get it working again. Move. Yeah. Maybe the only funny Jimmy Fallon sketch. Oh, the, the Barry Gibb talk show. Come on. You're right. I'm being unfair. But at least he didn't crack up in the middle of, of uh, what was the guy's name? Nick something, the IT guy or whatever. Oh, God. I forget what his Move. name is. Always with Horatio Sands. Right. Did he you try to all delete? Move. <laughs> he actually was on that uh, that. That WTF podcast that I listened to, Cal? Yeah. With Marin. Uh, right. Jimmy Fallon was about two weeks ago. Very interesting. I'm finding it more and more difficult to dislike Jimmy Fallon. I'm telling you, he, his show is so underrated. Yeah. The more exposure I get to him, the more I am finding it hard, or, or I'm finding it easier to put aside all the dislike about breaking up in sketches and treating Saturday Night Live like it was the Cal Burnett show. You know, you know why, Steve? You know why you're changing your your opinion of him? I don't. It's because we're all growing up. That's what it is. It's us. We're growing up. Jimmy Fallon is growing up. Wow. We're we're maturing. We have to ask Flood about that. I bet you Patrick has some some thoughts about Jimmy Fallon cracking up in SNL sketches. Anyway, uh, we are joined tonight uh, for this episode, this podcast, what have you, uh, by the Bishop, uh, pop culture PJ is uh, behind the glass, as they say. He is producing this wonderful program. We'd like to thank him. We'd like to bring him on to say hello, Bishop. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I don't know why Bishop I Bishop rerun. <laughs> Bishop, Bishop rerun. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, what? Raj. Hey, Raj. Hey, hey, hey. What's oh, I'm sorry, that was oh. Dwayne. That was Dwayne. 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 What's going on? What's going on, uh, Bishop PJ? How was your week? Everything's good. I can't complain over here. Things are things are good. I shouldn't nice. say that too loudly. No, good jinx it. Can I can I quickly say um, that today is July thirteenth, and that is a very special anniversary for me um, because it is the anniversary of the nineteen eighty five Live Aid show. Oh, that's right. <laughs> That all makes Which sense. Which was a huge, I mean, watershed moment for a young Paul James Cachopo life. 
Would you say seminal? Would you even would you go as far as to say seminal? It's the day where I went from just liking music and having a few records to being completely obsessed with music. Wow. You've yeah. been posting uh you've been posting awesome live aid performances all day, by the way, too, on Facebook. Magnificent. And what you couldn't see because of the you know, my webcam is off, so I don't let you see. Right. Um <laughs> is that every time I played back one of those clips, there were tears in my eyes. Wow. When I see when I see Freddie do Radio Gaga, I I get a little uh little choked up. He's of course referring to Fred Sanford of uh yes. Sanford and Son. Yes. I didn't know you were on a first name basis with uh Mr. Mercury. I would have been if I could. Yes. Yes. I'm sure you guys would have been very tight. The yeah. uh the the YouTube bad performance is uh pretty good. I went out the next day and bought every album. Yes. As as Passy said though, too bad they didn't do anything after that. Yeah, I know. They kind of faded. It was a long, slow fade. One hit wonder. All right, Peach, we'll talk to you later in the show. Thanks for producing tonight. Yupper. Yuppers. And, and, and happy anniversary on Live Aid. <laughs> uh, he takes that. We talked about Live Aid a couple of weeks ago when we first uh, uh, when he first started producing for us, Cal. Takes Live Aid very seriously. Yeah, he takes he takes music very seriously, and now I see why. He sort of remembers Live Aid like most of us remember the day we lost our virginity. <laughs> Is it possible it was one and the same for him or no? <laughs> wow. <laughs> no. He would have been about 14 and a half at that point. Maybe. You know, he grew up in Staten Island. Those kids were advanced. <laughs> they were doing things on Actually, that actually on, on, that, on that day, there was... There was uh, there was uh, very nearly a. Uh, I, I know. <laughs> Tread lightly, my friend. Hold on, let me think. I was fourteen. Never mind. <laughs> um, so, Cal. Anyway, uh, before we bring on Patrick Flood to talk about the Mets, and then we are going to talk Yankees. So, everybody, calm down. Uh, Cal, you have. We've been doing this show for what a year and a half? About. About a year and a half. We have done. In upwards of 75 episodes, maybe. Maybe even, you know, like 80 episodes. We're nearing our 100th episode. Wow. And which, will, which will, by the way, will only be a retrospective. That's correct. Um, and you have been begging to do a, either a fun load or just talk about the All-Star game. Or All-Star games in general. Every time there's an All-Star game in one of the four major sports and we have a show, you've been begging to talk about the All-Star game. Yeah, we always it always comes up around All Star time, and whenever we kind of pitch our ideas back and forth, it either gets dismissed or the All Star game was on a Sunday, and then by Tuesday it's old news. Right, that's always the excuse I get. We we sort of use we we sort of view the All Star game like Lindsey Buckingham on What's Up with That. <laughs> it's always apologies to apologies to the All Star game. We didn't get to you. Ooh, we. You're still my friend. You're still my buddy. All-star game. So, Cal? Oh, so you're going to give me, well, what, three and a half minutes before Patrick Flood calls in? You have four and a half minutes. Hit that. Uh, did you watch it? No. No. Uh, I was getting tweets. 
How's that? About the All-Star game? Correct. Really? I saw all the highlights, though. I mean, I was sick. I've been sick, Cal. Yeah, I know. I know. been very sick. You can't use it in the, as an excuse, though. I think I just did. You did. Um, well, go on. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do this now. I'm just gonna talk about last night's All Star game, and we'll save the All Star game discussion for whenever the next All Star opportunity will be, which I guess would be next Pro January. Pro Bowl. Well, the NHL All Star game. Or the NHL All Star game, right? Right, but um, apologies <laughs> to the All Star game. Man, I got, and it's it's such a good topic too, and I've got so much material that. I can't do it justice. And there know. it is, just just sitting there, sitting there on the on the last chair, waiting to get its spot. <laughs> um, as soon as I start, Patrick Flood will call in. That's <laughs> singing. What's up with that? <laughs> uh, well, well, what about last night's game? Uh, notable that the National League won uh, the second year in a row. Right. So they've turned the tide, uh, and uh, also notable for who is not there. Uh, yeah, was missing a, a certain uh, key figure of the moment in in New York sports, who uh, said he was what exhausted, He's tired, I think he was tired mentally and physically drained. I see. So he needed from, he needed a couple of days off from a certain chase for his three thousandth hit. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So you know it just really wore on him because he wasn't on the disabled list for two weeks prior to that. That's 18 days, right. right away from all of the uh, hullabaloo, as right. it were. He played a whole five games. But you know what? The commissioner of Major League Baseball would have done the same thing, Steve. So who are we to judge? He would have done really? the same exact thing. What Would Bud Selig have taken a break from accounting? Is that... Oh, you didn't see that? You didn't see that quote then? No. Yeah, he he actually came out to Jeter's defense, and he said, "I understand what he's been through. I probably would have done the same thing." What he's, he's been, a, been through? He's been a great ambassador to the league. Did he just serve a tour of duty in Afghanistan? What are you talking about? What he's been through? The commissioner has spoken. Oh boy. Well, you know what? And while we're here, and we're not going to do the full All Star Game thing. Apologies to the All Star Game. Um, let's uh, congratulate Derek Jeter on getting his 3,000th hit, mm -hmm. uh, going 5-for-5, five five, doing it with a home run. I, I believe I read somewhere it was one of his best games ever. It was. Uh, uh, he had like two stolen bases, four runs scored, a home run, a couple RBIs, blah, blah, blah. Um, Game-winning RBI. Game-winning. I shouldn't say blah, blah, blah. It was, it was a tremendous performance by a guy who is a great Yankee. He's a great Major League Baseball player. He's been a great role model. Uh, and he's also uh, carried himself and, poor, you know, played the part of the professional athlete perfectly. And yes. so uh, we here at Ready to Unload, I'm sure he'll be thrilled to know. Congratulate Derek Jeter on becoming the first Yankee ever to get his 3,000th hit in a Yankee uniform. That's right. And, and and we make fun and we tease and stuff like that, but honestly, Cal, it's very hard to get a Yankee record. Yeah. I, I it's very hard to set a Yankee record. I mean you, you have Ruth with the home runs, you have Gehrig with the games played, you have also have Gehrig with RBIs. You have you know, it's very hard it, to 
Did Ruth, you? Ruth, Ruth does not have the home runs anymore. Not not anymore, but I'm saying. Well, he did, yeah. No, I see what you mean. DiMaggio. Right. 61 in a season. I don't care. Barry Bonds could hit, you know, those guys are all tainted now. Right. So I'm just saying it's very difficult to set a record or achieve a milestone. How about, let me put it to you that way then. That's better. Achieve a milestone in a Yankee uniform. That's the one that had never been done. Well, only 27 players prior to this had done it. So he's in select company. Yes. And good for him. <laughs> you seem very... Your tongue seems planted firmly in your cheek right now. No, no, not at all. Not at all. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy for him. He, he deserves all of the accolades that he gets because he has been a great major league player for, what, 15 years, 16 years, uh, whatever it is. But good for him. You know, good for him, good for all the Yankee fans, and great for all of the Yankee announcers who made this out to be <laughs> as if Mike uh, Derek Jeter had just cured AIDS. <laughs> You know, that's his next, that's his next plateau, by the way. Wow. So, so good for, good for them. So you're saying Michael K may be a little over the top. Michael K was a little over the top. You know what I will tell you, and you'll find this hard to believe, John Sterling, not over the top. John Sterling actually called it very classy. Did he? He did. That does surprise me. Yeah. Of, of all of them, he was the one that was probably the, uh, most constrained? The most, uh, yeah, most reverent of the situation, I guess. Right. Understanding that uh, it's a baseball player. Right. Right. All right. And if you go into ESPN New York, Ian O'Connor has a great article uh, basically uh, just, you know, equating what Derek Jeter did to all of us re refinding our youth. <laughs> Wait, what? You know, he was, you know, he, he, he uses the, the, uh, he uses the allegory of Derek Jeter is like the little boy in the balloon. And for one beautiful day, beautiful summer afternoon in New York, Derek Jeter was that little boy again chasing his balloon. And weren't we all? I'm telling you, you got to read it. Ian O'Connor, Eyebrows O'Connor, ESPN New York, read about the uh, Derek Jeter 3,000th hit. You'll love it. Should I have that music underneath when I'm reading it? Should I just to really no, just to like pump up the moment. Should I have that that music underneath just when we're talking about this achievement that is akin to 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 finding the fountain of youth apparently? And on this the ninth day of July, <laughs> Derek Sanderson Jeter. <laughs> Helped us all find our inner boys and girls. That's right. Now, was James Earl Jones there to yeah. narrate <laughs> him getting his three thousandth hit? Yeah, it was weird. I don't know. He, he just came out all of a sudden. Like, like what? he was like he's Jones doing up field. Strange. Weird. <laughs> oh boy. I know. I'm, I'm 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 making light of I'm making light of it because I thought that the the media overblowing of the situation was, was laughable, but it shouldn't take away from the, uh, if you play the music, it shouldn't take away from the achievement because it is, it is a remarkable achievement and, and congrats, and seriously, congratulations to, to Derek Jeter. 
Yeah, congrats. We're all uh, we're all super <laughs> proud. We're all very excited. No, I, look, he can't help it. It's not his fault. No, it's not him. It's just you know, it's it's well, it's not. It's 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 other people do this to Derek Jeter, you know, or have done this around Derek Jeter. They've created this mythology around the guy. I was talking to uh, some family over the weekend or whatever. My cousin Ray, who's a huge Yankee fan. Huge Yankee fan, and who is basically uh, Andrew Dice Clay before there was Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> uh, but he's like the genuine article. Ray was like, you know, he's he's not even like a person anymore. He's Derek Jeter. <laughs> you know, like Derek Jeter probably spends most of his time trying to be Derek Jeter. Right. You know, and they were talking a lot about what the guy did with the ball. That was a, a huge topic here it's in New York for like three days. Yep. It's a very interesting thing. What would you have done, Cal? Would you have given it to Jeter? I don't know because I, you got to remember this is this is a 23-year-old kid in the heat of the moment where he's being pressured by Yankee officials who are probably selling him on this idea that he could go meet Derek Jeter. Hey, you're going to meet Derek Jeter. We're going to give you tickets to every game for the rest of the season. Just give us the ball. And then you get to meet Derek Jeter, and, and he's probably like, oh, great. Yeah, I'll give you the ball. I don't know what I would have done in that in that spot. I probably I can't imagine I would give the ball to Derek Jeter since I hate the Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> He's honest, folks. That's what you'll get here at Ready to Unload with Cal Tip. He's honest. I I would probably take the ball and and think about it. Yeah, he's there's no <laughs> there's no, there's nothing like just pure honesty. I probably wouldn't give it to him because I hate the Yankees. Uh, but he must have felt like the you know. The kid with the golden ticket, like in Wonka. Actually, I don't see. I disagree with that. I think he probably didn't have time to even think about no, it. No, no, no. That's what I mean, Cal. Like when you first discovered oh, it, right, the right, media right, right. like all over you, and Slugworth's over there, like asking about the everlasting gobstopper. Slugworth, I'm sure, in this equation is like Fred Wilpon or something like that. It's Randy Levine. Right, it's Randy Levine in his ear, you know, telling him like, if you give this to the Hall of Fame, you know what I mean? Like he must have. Too bad there was no one there to be like, listen. You take this ball and you run right home and don't talk to anyone. Then he could have taken Grandpa Joe with him. They all slept in the same bed, Cal. They were very poor, Steve. All the grandparents in the same bed. It's awkward. Very poor. It's awkward. Well, uh, I, I think we're ready for uh, for Patrick Flood. How do you feel about take that? Take it back. Do, 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 do. Take it back. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Take it back. Joining us now from uh, SNY's Mets blog, the great uh, Mets blogger, it's PatrickFloodBlog.com, Mr. Patrick Flood. Hello, Patrick. Welcome back to the show. Hey, guys. What's going on? What's up, man? Uh, I, I do actually want to point out, I just heard you talking about the Charlie and the Chocolate, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory family. I think the grandparents did all sleep head to toe. Which does change it a little bit. Um, I feel <laughs> like did. that's important to bring up. Yeah, I just just in their defense, it's less weird that way. They did sleep head to toe. <laughs> Very good point. He see he's a master of detail. Uh, this is why we find your well before we even get to the Mets and stuff. Mm -hmm. We were gonna uh, we were going to ask you about Jimmy Fallon. I just heard Jimmy Fallon on WTF with Mark Maron like a okay. week and a half ago, and he explains why he was always cracking up in sketches. 
and he sort of apologizes for it. And Cal and I speculated that Patrick Flood's a guy who probably hated that too. Uh, it depends. I feel like like when you're when you watch them live, that that would be a uh, sort of annoying. I feel like in retrospect, there are some sketches that uh, I, actually I find it like there's one where the the professor's in the hot tub for the hot tub. When that that one with like Cameron Diaz and he's cracking up the whole time and that almost makes it funnier because it's just so ridiculous. Um, but there are other ones where he's just laughing and it really isn't. It's just it's just annoying. Yeah. He yeah. talked about it's so funny you bring that up, Patrick, because he talked about yeah. that sketch, and he said you, in in Farrell's last year, all he was trying to do was get Fallon or Horatio Sands to laugh. And so and under the water, he's grabbing Fallon's leg. <laughs> like every time he says, you know, oh, and we should go have shinshi shinshi or whatever, <laughs> he's grabbing like right up on Fallon's thigh, trying to get him to laugh. So I, you're right. Yeah, that's, that's defensible. That's what I always think of when I think of, of him laughing. And, and just he doesn't deliver any of his lines in that sketch. He's just laughing the whole time, right. covering his face. And, and a, of course, the Blue Oyster Cult uh, behind the music, too, with the cowbell. He's pretty, he's pretty bad in that one, too, yeah. He he talked about that one, too, and he just said, look, I'm sorry. You know, if you were looking at Will Ferrell in that shirt, you know, <laughs> and taking the sketch to the level that he was taking it at, you know, too, you would have cracked up, too. But I, I was saying, uh, Patrick, that uh, to close on Jimmy Fallon, just that uh, listening to that interview – uh, and seeing clips and stuff of his show, I'm finding him more and more likable. Yeah, uh, I'm not that big of a fan of his talk show. It's like nothing else is on. I'll watch it, I guess. Um, he's, I guess he's, yeah, maybe he's gotten less annoying with age. He doesn't bother <laughs> me that much. He's not someone I like actively dislike. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I think we're, I think we're all growing up. Yeah. <laughs> that might be it. Uh, Patrick, let's talk about the Mets and. Big trade yesterday. Francisco Rodriguez gets traded to Milwaukee. Mets are off the hook for that poisonous $17.5 million contract next year. Yep. Uh, almost universally praised, but in some circles, Sandy Alderson's getting some some flack for not getting enough for him. Where do you stand on all of this? Oh, I would have been happy if they got nothing back for him. I think it's great that they got anything back for him. Um, they got like two players to be named later, who will probably just be guys you never hear of again once they're named. Um, right, but it's like it's one of those things where they can't. There's no way they could pay him seventeen and a half million dollars next year um, to be their closer. He's just not worth it. No, he's no closer is worth that much. You know, Mariano Rivera would get close, but even you know, Kara would be making more money than him, and he definitely right. isn't one of the top closers in baseball. So they just they had to get rid of that any way they could, and it's you know it's a risky deal. So in order to dump it on somebody, you're probably not going to get a lot back. So they got something back, which is great. I'm I'm all in favor of this. Yeah, I think they got they got someone to take the contract. I think that's all that matters here. I mean, there was the line on Twitter about, you know, they could have sent back Bernie Brewer and Bob Euchre, and we would have been happy with that. Was that your line, Cal? Cal's getting very upset. I used it earlier this morning, and then someone else used it on Twitter, and I was like, Oh, you oh, did? I should have posted right. it. You did. Cal used it in our BlackBerry IM chat this morning. That's right. That's where I said. Well, anyway, uh, I I think they, boy, Cal, you got to get it up on Twitter, my man. I was too. It was too early for me. <laughs> what? You have a tweet deadline? No, it was seven o'clock. I wasn't thinking right. 
I see. Anyway, uh, I would have been happy to get anything back as long as somebody takes that contract. And now that $17.5 million uh, uh, option is somebody else's problem. But, Patrick, I want to ask you about the way this trade was conducted. Because I read a lot about how no one saw the Brewers coming. This was really Alderson's first move in what a lot of people have said is going to be a big fire sale. And how is Sandy Alderson, the, the adult in the room which I think he is, don't get me wrong, uh, going to go about business, and nobody really saw the Brewers as a trade partner. Uh, did this sort of sneak up on the beat guys? And also, do you see him uh, doing business in a more clandestine manner than it's been done in the past? He's like a ninja, right? Like, nobody <laughs> knew this was coming. Um, no one knew it was happening until it already happened, all the beat guys and stuff like that. Um, it does seem that this sort of uh, front office is a little bit more tight-lipped than previous ones. Um, and also, I think I think also the trade itself might have been sort of sudden. Um, like, I mean, just actually with the timing of it, I would guess that it was already done before the All-Star game or something like that, and then they just waited till afterwards to announce it. Um, but even so, that, that's pretty good to keep that a secret for that long. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't think they're going to have a fire sale. I don't think actually this is a sign that they're going to have a fire sale. I think it's just they traded a mediocre reliever who everyone happens to, you know, sort of know and recognize because he gets saved. But that's sort of a whole other thing. So you you don't think it's going to be a fire sale, but do you think that Carlos Beltran is going to be traded before the trade deadline? I honestly think that depends. I think that's what Sandy Alderson even said today. I think that, that really depends on what happens in the next two and a half weeks. Um, I mean, you know, they had to get rid of K-Rod, you know, win, lose, whatever. If they're like, you know, if they're 10 games up in, you know, in first place, you know, at least, they still should get rid of K-Rod because that's just a ridiculous contract. And if somebody else wants to take it, cool. But um, Beltran is one of those things where uh, they're probably not going to get much for him anyway. Um, he might end up just being another salary dump. So if they want to hang on to him, it's not that big of a, you know, a thing either way. I wouldn't be surprised if he finished the year at the Mets. Really? I, I think what's interesting here, and, and <clears throat> I, I think we're of the same opinion as you, Patrick, but I think we differ a little bit from what's being written about the team, maybe by the beat guys a little uh, when it comes to Beltron, and that is this idea that we've sort of said this all along, that you're not going to get very much for Carlos Beltron. He's not a huge chip, regardless of the fact that he's uh, proven to be durable in the outfield this year. Uh uh, and he's and he's playing very well, and he's playing at an all-star level, that you're really selling a guy for two months uh, who's not going to get a big contract at the end of it. And he's not a big – I could see the Mets also just dumping his salary for the rest of the season too because they can't offer him arbitration, meaning they can't get draft pick compensation for him uh, or the same draft pick compensation they would get for Reyes. So I really think Alderson's being honest when he says – we have to see how it plays out. If we have a great two and a half weeks, then we'll keep him. If we don't, then we'll trade him. He's like making his money. Um, he's probably earning his contract, so it's one of those things where if another team's going to take him, they're not going to get much back because there's no arbitration at the end. There sort of is really no benefit to taking him on except that you get a good player who's you know you're going to have to pay as much as he's making, and and that sort of makes it more difficult to move. Patrick, going back to Francisco Rodriguez being traded, now that opens up the closer spot. And for a team that's trying to stay in it, you know, as, as, as on the periphery as they might be, who do you think is going to get the first shot 
at that closer's role? Do you think they'll give the shot to Bobby Parnell, or will they go with uh, with Isringhausen because he's got experience? What do you think? Um, I'm hoping. I think Howard Parnell would be the better choice. I'm hoping they go with Isringhausen. Um, really? I probably explain that. Yeah, because um, like Bobby Parnell, I, I don't know when he's going to be arbitration eligible for arbitration. But he's, he's a young player. He's not making a ton of money now. Um, if they let him get a bunch of saves, he's going to cost a lot more over the next three years um, than if he's pitching just as well in the eighth inning. And the difference in value is probably like nothing. So it's, you know, and if you can just get Jason Dizzer and have him get saves next year, get some other guy to be the closer in the next couple of years. Um, and then eventually, you know, with Parnell Arthur, he can take over. But, and he'll, he'll probably be pitching better anyway. But it's one of those things where, like, why let somebody get a bunch of saves and just make themselves really expensive when you can get the same performance for much less. Well, I would uh, – let me jump in here, Cal. I would uh, – I think I told you a couple of weeks ago, uh, Patrick, that uh, Cal and I had started reading Moneyball uh, a yep. whole six years a whole six years too late. Uh, but we're we're both in the midst of it. I'm, I'm, I'm just about done with it. I think Cal is too, and we're going to do a, a special <laughs> turn-back-the-clock edition of Ready to Unload where we'll probably play a lot of music from 2004 and, you know, I'll be 25 pounds thinner. But um, – and do a Moneyball episode, but um, just in reading in reading Moneyball and listening to how Bean talks about closers uh, and talks about how he liked taking a young guy and putting him in that role and building up his value because he thought it was a ridiculously overvalued position. Right? So, couldn't you see him doing that sort of like doing to Parnell? What he did to Jason Isringhouse in in Oakland. Yeah, actually, this was a uh, something I talked about on. We have like an SNY podcast now. We, we do it with like Toby Hyde and, and Tenberg, which everyone should listen to after they're done listening to this. By the way, but yeah, um, it is no seriously, it's 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 very good stuff. Toby Hyde does a just, great just job. Just throwing a Tenberg plug in there, too. right? Yeah, but I, I talked about Bobby Parnell about this a little bit last week, and actually, I, I was arguing with Toby that Bobby Parnell is like one of those pitchers that is going to get ridiculously overvalued because he throws so hard um, and he gets a lot of strikeouts. And then, like you said, if you let him get a bunch of saves, there's going to be some team out there that's going to fall in love with him when maybe he isn't really as good as uh, as that team might think. So, I, I, actually, that's not even something I thought about, letting him get saves and then, you know, flipping him off to someone else. Um, that might actually be a good idea, too, you know, because he throws so fast. And I think that's another thing they say in Moneyball. Um, at yeah. some point, like Billy Bean traded everybody that throws like over 97 miles an hour. That's um, right. I... <laughs> because some other team would just take them and be like, ah, they're so great. And then, you know, you end up with Kyle Farnsworth or something. Exactly. <laughs> and and that's it. And, and it, I, I could see it going either way. I feel like Izzy is, uh, Isringhausen right now is, is good uh, sort of protection for Parnell. I think you give Parnell the shot. And if he runs with the job, great. If he falls apart and you're still trying to win, you have a legitimate guy who's closed before an Isringhausen there that you could sort of plug in when the fan base is getting nuts about Barnell blowing games. But I, I, they are running this team in in a – that's why the, the draft pick, Patrick, and we, we really didn't get too much of a chance to talk about it, but the draft pick was such a head-scratcher to me because Nimmo – is against everything you read about Paul D. Podesta in Moneyball. Except oh, because he's like a college hitter. And, uh, he's, a, he's a high school player with no yeah. track record. I mean, sorry, high school hitter. Yeah, right. right. And he he has no stats. Exactly. Well, I mean, you could look at it like, you know, sort of their, the evolution of 
of Moneyball and things like that. There is, a, I think, some part I, I pointed out on the blog a couple of weeks ago where he does say, Paul Dito does say something about, like, getting the hitter you want, and then he likes to take a bunch of pitchers in a row, which is sort of what the Mets did this year. They got Nimmo, and then they picked, like, five pitchers in a row, um, yep, right. a bunch of college guys, and I think, like, a high school arm in there in the second pick. Yeah, no, I read uh, that. I read that on your blog, and 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 that's what yeah. that was. Uh, that was funny. That after taking Nimmo, he went straight Moneyball. He clustered. Yeah. He clustered. He clustered together like seven college pitchers. You know, with like one high school arm in there. But he went. He went straight Moneyball. But that's why I was a little. That's why it tells me this Nimmo kid must be good. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's obviously really weird because he's from like Wyoming and he doesn't play high school baseball because they don't have high school baseball. Right. Um, and, right, there aren't a lot of staff and everything like that, but they must really, really like him because it was like one of those things where he was available, and so they grabbed him. Maybe he would have fallen even lower and things like that. Maybe they took him a little bit high. But he was the guy they wanted, and they got him. Um, I, You know, even if I don't necessarily understand it, I do trust this front office enough where I think they know what they're doing more than I do. And I'm yeah, Patrick, that. that's what I was going to say, Patrick. Don't you feel better knowing that Sandy Alderson and company are in charge of this rebuild Rather than than previous regimes, because you kind of you kind of trust him. Like Steve said, he's the adult in the room. He's making decisions not solely based on emotion or or in the moment. And you know, do you have faith that he's going to be able to to turn this thing around? Yeah, I do. And and then I feel like even when he does things that maybe I don't understand uh, or seem a little funny, and I'm like, I don't quite get this one. I do sort of trust that they know more than I know, and then I certainly felt like I knew more than the last um, administration. So that's definitely a comforting thought that, like, you know, the team is in good hands. Yeah, he gets a little bit of the benefit of the doubt this time around. Exactly. You you feel like he's, you know, and even just when he's talking with the reporters, you kind of get the feeling that he's the smartest guy in the room. (laughs) Yeah, you get that feeling, especially like on today's conference call uh, with the reporters, I heard the tail end of it, and I can't I, I didn't quite get the, you know, the question that was asked, but, you know, he said the question was asked in a manner of, would you say that something, something, something? And he said, his answer was, well, would you say that? And the, and the reporter was like, no, no, no. Would you say it was like the scene in, you know, uh, Blazing Saddles. But he was like, no, no, no. I'm asking you, would you say that? And he goes, I know. Would you say that? And the reporter was just like, okay, I'm I'm going to go sit down now. Okay, you win. He does he's, like, he's smart. <laughs> he just shuts people down sometimes, and it's so great. It's like he, if he gets a question that he kind of thinks is dumb, he'll be polite about it, but he'll also sort of let everyone know that, like, I don't think this is an intelligent question. And one of the most underrated things about him, I think, is he's got this wicked sense of humor, which you don't expect to see out of him, you know? Yeah. Like when they were talking about the secret negotiations, and he says, well, you know, I'll send out a smoke signal when, when the secret negotiations start. <laughs> right. It's like very subtle, like kind of lame dad humor almost, but it's like he's good at it. And it's it's amusing. Yeah. I like right. it. Yeah, no, and, and that's one of the reasons I've I've so enjoyed. Let's just get all the plugs out of the way. We we should be reading Patrick's blog. We should be reading uh, Matthew Callan's blog. And I've been enjoying uh, Scratch Bomb, uh, Matthew Callan's uh, Studio 60 on Roosevelt Avenue. Uh, and his whole uh, sort of parody of, of Alderson with in an Aaron Sorkin uh, series. I don't know if you've read any of that. No, I haven't read any of that. I'm going to have to check that out, actually. Yeah, I, it's, I, I, it's, it's great. Twitter or something, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, before we get to the Mets in the second half, I do want to do this. Uh, 
Patrick, I want to read. We were just talking about what we would do with Derek Jeter's 3,000 hit ball. And Cal said, since he hates the, the Yankees, he would not have given the ball over. And I want to read an excerpt from your blog uh, from yesterday. Yes. What, okay. would you, what would you do with Derek Jeter's? It's titled, What Would You Do With Derek Jeter's 3,000 Ball? Uh, Ted Berg, who's awesome, as we mentioned, uh, Ted Berg asked the all-important question, what would you do with Derek Jeter's 3,000 hit ball? Here's my answer. You know that scene in Braveheart when the first little band of Scotsmen take over an English fort and kill the guy who executed William Wallace's lady friend? And William Wallace, Mel Gibson, gives a short, tell them Scotland is free speech to the Englishman he releases. And at the end of his speech, he turns to his men and says, burn it. I'd probably give that exact speech <laughs> out of context, ending it with the burn it command and then setting the ball on fire. Just because Derek Jeter is the worst. <laughs> I read that this morning, Patrick, and I uh, I, I I know that the, our producer, PJ, will will appreciate that. He he loves when people marry uh, his favorite movies and sports, but uh, that was really good. It's that's like the scene I always think of, and just it's a, it just I wish I could have found a YouTube video of it, but for some reason I couldn't have found that like little speech and then the part with the end. But yeah, he just like turns to his guys, he's like burn it, and then then <laughs> you know then he, like it cuts to the thing on fire. That's what I would have wanted to happen. I just have a magnificent visual of you actually doing that, like you actually like lighting the ball on fire. <laughs> right, like I just go in and be like, oh yeah, sure, I'll give it back to him, and then once I get there, I give him that little speech and then, you know, set the ball on fire. <laughs> Um, so now the Mets uh, come into <clears throat> excuse me come into the second half uh, a game over five hundred seven and a half games out of the wild card eleven and a half games out of first place with the two best teams in the National League uh, in the first half in their division it does not look good but they open with the Phillies they have a couple of important series coming up Jose Reyes should be back soon uh, it's supposedly he's sprinting tomorrow took batting practice at the All Star game. David Wright begins rehab on Friday. Ike Davis may not need amputation. There are <laughs> there are a couple of good signs out there. Give us how you see the second half uh, going for the Mets. I honestly think the Mets have a have like a case as the third best team in the National League. I think you could make the case. I don't. I think the Giants have a pretty good record, but I think they've they've scored not many more runs than they've allowed. Um, I don't think they, they probably play like 500 the rest of the year, something like that. The problem is that the Mets have uh, the two other teams that are better than them in the National League are the two teams in their division. If you took the Mets out of the NL East and put them in the Central or the West, they would be right in it. They'd be a couple games back, something like that. Um, but the problem is they're going to have to catch the Braves or the Phillies. I guess the way I see the second half shaping up is in, in the next two and a half weeks, if they gain ground in Atlanta – um, I wouldn't even worry about the other teams in between them. If they gain ground in Atlanta, you know, maybe they stay in it. Maybe they, you know, keep everyone together, hope for, you know, the right Davis Reyes to come back, and maybe even Johan Santana, um, and then just sort of make a run for it. But if they fall much further behind, seven and a half is pretty far out um, with a bunch of teams ahead of you. If they fall any far out, then then I could see these sort of fire sale taking place where just anything that isn't nailed down in the bullpen gets sent off. <laughs> Uh, Cal, Cal and I were talking about this, Patrick, the, this idea of, uh, okay, July 31st rolls around and let's say they're hovering right around where they are. They're a game above, maybe two games above two, you know, uh, 
There's six back of the wild card. Uh, who's still here and who goes? Oh, um, well, you figure that, like, the easiest pieces to move would be Beltron. Anyone whose contract is up, which would be, like, Carlos Beltron and the bullpen, like Jason Isringhausen, Tim Burdak. Not like anyone in the bullpen. The bullpen's terrible anyway. Just trade everyone, right? But, <laughs> I mean, like, honestly, though, is it, like, other than maybe Bobby Parnell, is there anyone in that bullpen where you're like, yeah, we should we should keep him? He's good. No. I mean, uh, Pedro Piato, I guess. Um, you're not a Manny Acosta guy? I mean... No, yeah. I mean, there, there are nobody's... I mean, honestly, nobody in that bullpen is very good. <laughs> it's rough. Pat, it's Patrick, rough. they're bringing Igarashi up, though, Patrick. Uh, I mean, every he always one of those like he puts up decent numbers in Triple A and then they bring him up and he just like throws five wild pitches and they send him back down. He's like the pitching version of Nick Evans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what's up with Nick Evans why he can't hit in the major leagues, but I mean he hit he he the home run the other night. I take that back, but right, which maybe got him off the schneid because he was red. He had like a 19 game hitting streak. He might be just a classic 4A player, though. I mean, he might be just the guy who, you know, gets to the major leagues and just can't hit major league pitching, but he can tear up AAA pitching. Right. And I think the other thing to keep in mind, and nobody ever talks about it, is that um, I think Buffalo is actually, even though you think of it as, like, cold weather and stuff like that, that stadium up there in Buffalo is actually a good home run park. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, that doesn't get mentioned a lot, but I think sometimes you get, with, like, the Lucas Dudas and the Mike Hessmans and, and whoever last year. Um hitting a lot of home runs maybe wouldn't be hitting as many if they were playing in a different park. Right. Now, now a lot of the uh, beat writers after this trade, or a lot of – I shouldn't say beat writers. Let me let me step back and let me say a lot of the people who write about this team or comment on this team have said that uh, although getting rid of K-Rod's uh, – I'm going to go back to this. Uh, getting rid of K-Rod's option for next year and getting that – what is essentially uh, uh, 14 – a million dollars off the books because they owed him a $3.5 million buyout anyway. Right. Uh, getting that $14 million off the books doesn't necessarily free them up to trade Jose Reyes and that they, or I mean to, I'm sorry, sign Jose Reyes or make a big offer to Jose Reyes. Uh, and, and uh, we had one uh, pontificator, Met pontificator who said they still need to trade David Wright because in this, you, you, you still can't keep both. Because they're so financially strapped. So even with like fifty million dollars coming off, <laughs> coming off the books, uh, they still can't afford to keep uh, both Wright and Reyes. Honestly, being being completely honest and looking at it, Patrick, is this the what's the level of hogwash here? How 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 high can I raise the hogwash level here? I don't think there's any way they trade David Wright. Would be there's a lot of hogwash there. There's no way to trade David Wright because it's if only because I think his contract says something like that. I think he signed through uh, 2013, maybe something like that. If he gets yeah. traded, that 2013 year just goes away, and then he'll be a free agent after 2012. So it's like they'd be trading whatever. What they, it's, he's just more valuable to the Mets than he would be to any other team. So they'd have to get blown away with an offer. And I don't think anyone's going to blow the Mets away for a you know a, a very very good player, but somebody who's been sort of on the decline for the past two years and hurt um, right now. Like a broken back. I mean, that's not the kind of guy you go and, and trade for and pay a lot for. Um, Ray is, on the other hand, is, is sort of how much money is if someone just throws a ridiculous contract at him, I could see him um, ending up there. I think he'll end up back with the mess. But if somebody overpays him, I don't think Sandy Olsen will bid on Jose Reyes just to bid on Jose Reyes. 
Well, you you bring up a great point uh, because of rights. Everybody seems to ignore that's in his contract. That yeah. he he has an uh, he has an option year for 2013 that gets negated if he's traded. So so no team is going to trade for him for a year. Right, he's like, yeah. he's worth a dollar to the Mets and fifty cents to anyone else. That's not exactly. Possible. You don't want to so, make that trade. Yeah. Right. Let's let's but let's all ignore that fact and just say they can't possibly keep both. We have to trade David Wright. Uh, yeah. Do you think that Reyes's hamstring injury helps the Mets in the bidding or hurts them or, or affects it at all? I mean, I'd assume that this is his third year in a row now where he has missed time on the disabled list. Um, obviously, he missed like most of 2009 and had the nagging side injury last year. Um, and then this year, it's another leg thing. So he can't sort of like slip the injury prone label off of him and pretend it's not there, um, which maybe would have been easier if he had just had the crazy season that he was having this season. So I think that does hurt his value. And if it hurts his value, maybe it makes him more likely to, for the Mets, you know, makes it more likely that the Mets won't be outbid by somebody who just throws a ton of money at him. But you never know when somebody's out there in the market like that. With Jason Worth last offseason, somebody just throws too much money at them. See, that's what I, that's what I fear is going to happen. You're going to get a team like Baltimore that's looking to make a splash. You know, they have all this money to, to spend, and they're just going to use it on Jose Reyes just to bring him in as the marquee guy of the franchise. That's that's my biggest fear because I agree with you. I think he's got a shot to resign with the Mets, but you have to watch out for the mysterious team like Washington that we don't know is lurking out there. Yeah. I, I mean, he, he, it's sort of uh, I feel like it's even more likely that somebody's going to throw a ton of money at him just because of almost like the low quality of shortstop in today's game. There's like, there's Troy Tulowitzki and then like, if you just looked at the, the all-star shortstops in the game yesterday, it's like, you know, Astro Cabrera. Um, and, like, you know, it's not sort of the group of players. They're very, very good players having good seasons, but no one is close to Reyes, really, honestly. You know, Jimmy Rollins is really on the decline. Derek Jeter is, you know, looks like he's done until the past couple of weeks, but uh, past couple of days, really. I, there really aren't that many great shortstops out there right now. Jose Reyes and Troy Tulisco are the two best ones, and so... If you want a good shortstop, one's going to be available this winter. And again, somebody might throw too much money at him. Now, Patrick, I got I got one last thing on the Mets. When when we're heading into the second half of the season, we're the unofficial second half of the season. When you look at the team in the beginning of October, and we're going to assume that they're they're not going to be able to catch the Braves because the Braves are just too good this year. Not because the Mets are going to have a bad second half, but because the Braves are just too strong. Um, what do you think? When 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 we look at the end of the season, how what will it take for this season to be defined as a success? Like, do they, you know, do they have to finish five, over five hundred? Do they have to stay competitive into September? Um, do we do we care about record, and do we just want to see the young guys come up and perform? What how how will we look at the season as being successful in in October? Oh, I almost feel like you can't decide whether or not the season would be successful in October. It, it's almost like one of those things where you'll know if the season was successful in, like, 2012 and 2013. We're sort of, like, the goal is to be as competitive as possible this year without messing up the next two years when, like, maybe they'll actually have, a, like, a, a better shot at making the playoffs and things like that. You know, the, the ultimate goal is to win a World Series at some point, and so it doesn't seem that likely that that's going to happen this year. So then everything this year should be about, you know, and, and try to remain as competitive as you can, but everything this year should be about trying to win in the next three years, something like that. And uh, yep, and probably setting up the minor league system and getting that back on track and and getting their 
the implementation of their uh, the philosophies and stuff that they that they want to put in place. Like Dave Hudgens already sort of has a little bit at the at the major league level, and I know we're always slow to. Yeah, you know, we're always fast to want to fire a hitting coach when they're not hitting and slow to give them credit when they are or whatever. But I, I don't think it's any sort of coincidence that the Mets in the first year of this quote-unquote Moneyball experiment with uh, Paul DePodesta and, and Ricciardi and, and Alderson uh, in the first half of the season lead the league in walk, lead the National League in walks and are second in on-base percentage. Yeah, that's not a coincidence. Uh, I, I mean, you know, you're, like you said, it's too easy to give hitting coaches and coaches and managers credit when things are going well and, you know, and then give them too much playing when things are going right. But I, I think it's sort of almost like contagious at a certain point. It's sort of the uh, getting guys on base, keeping the lineup moving and things like that. And they've, they've, you know, sort of fostered that environment and it's working with, you know, an infield that probably belongs to triple A. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at best. Um, now, before before we uh, let you go, I want to do two things. One, I want you to uh, throw out a couple of plugs. <laughs> I feel like we're on like the old Merv Griffin show, but you got anything to plug, Patrick? No, seriously, uh, please, you, you mentioned Ted Berg before and, and uh, Toby Hyde and stuff. Uh, tell our listeners where they can hear that. Yes, we do the Mostly Mets podcast now. We are going to record actually another one tonight that should be up tomorrow afternoon, I think. Um, and you can find that at any of our blogs. You can find it at patrickfloydblog.com, metsmeyerleaflog.com, and tedquarters.net. Or tedquarters.com. I think he has both now. So if you're really against typing in .net, you can hang out there. <laughs> <laughs> and also, of course, you can check out uh, Patrick at Patrick Flood blog or the uh, or metsblog.com. You can link to him from there and check him out. And, and honestly, folks, check out these podcasts and stuff. We've been uh, Cal and I, you know, uh, Patrick have been checking them out and we uh, watch them and listen to them and stuff. And we're trying to, you know, get a community together here. And there's a lot of people doing a lot of great stuff, especially about the Mets, but, you know, just about j- baseball in general. And so check all this stuff out. Now, before I let you go, Mr. Flood, okay. last week last week on the show, we did a fun load that uh, was a lot of fun, but also I thought you might want to participate in. So let me okay. explain. Let me explain real quick, and we'll, we'll bring our, our producer, the Bishop Pop Culture PJ, in here in a second as well. Uh, P, do you want to explain what we did last week? Well, Doctor E. Ray Stat sent in a, a very intriguing question, which was, I think, uh, you, you turn around and uh, the Beatles are in your living room, and you can only ask them for what song for one song. What song do you ask for? That's right. So we, that's correct. That's correct. So we played a little game where we gave each other two bands each, and okay. we were only allowed to we were only allowed to pick one song. And if you're a musician, you cannot participate in the song. Okay. No jamming. <laughs> no jam. That's right. No jamming, which changed my Beatles song entirely, because I wanted to do like the all star jam band Hey Jude. Uh, with me on drums, but I was not allowed right. to do that. Uh, so we'll, we'll give you the Beatles first. Okay. Beatles are playing in your living room. You're allowed to have one song. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> it's hard, right? It is hard. I, uh, this is really tough. Yeah, okay. So they're, and they're all alive, right? It's like the are – they, are they in a time machine or is it like – <laughs> like is it like 1960 something Beatles in a time machine, or is it like 
John Lennon not was the reanimated and like okay, so no no zombie Beatles because that does change no. things. Okay, I, we didn't even think about picking an era. <laughs> I didn't. I, just, I mean, the Beatles are sort of only one era because you know they broke up and then you know uh, Harrison they, and Lennon. They're there and they're ready to play. I think that's all you really need to know. Okay. And they have and, full, full capabilities. George Martin is there. They can do any song you want. Right. Okay. The string band. Uh, the string band will show up. <laughs> it's tough. I, it really is tough. I feel like I, I would might just go with like. Yeah, I might go with Let It Be. I think I might go with Let It Be. Solid. You see, you, this yeah. is what I'm, you can't go wrong there. No, I, I mean, I feel like I'm also thinking about Hey Jude, but I think I like actually like Let It Be better than Hey Jude, so I would go with Let It Be. And it's sort of like a like a big song, and you can sort of say that you saw them play it in your living room somehow. Even though I probably wouldn't tell anyone because that would be weird, and they would think that's crazy. Um, <laughs> but like, if there was somewhere where I could tell people and it wouldn't seem crazy, then I would, yeah, I would go with Let It Be. All right, it's nice because this is the only question you'll be asked where no matter what you answer, it's right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know? All right, so now for a second band, from reading a lot of your stuff, I was gonna I, I was debating whether we should ask you about like a Genesis or a Queen or a, like a seventies prog rock band. Okay. Uh or or a Bowie. Are you a big Bowie guy? I'm a pretty big Bowie fan, yeah. Okay, well we'll let you pick the second band. How's that? So I get to pick the band and the song? That's right. Oh, and and it's going to be like live. So it's, uh, <laughs> that's yeah. right. Right. So I, I feel like Led Zeppelin would be like the really obvious choice. In some way, I'm almost like almost willing to pick like David Lee Roth era Van Halen too. <laughs> I was asked that. Number yeah, one. This is unbelievable to me. All right. It's I was sort of like asked... an unorthodox pick. Yeah. But I feel like they they would be very interesting. I feel like David Lee Roth has a reputation of being fantastic live. He's sort of like he's the best singer, but he's a very good, you know, show person. Uh, he's a he's a front man, especially in my living room. Right, and, and I would be the only audience person, so it That's might be right. a little weird, but yeah, it would definitely be. <laughs> might be like that that old Saturday Night Live sketch on uh, on the news when uh, a, a guy had won a weekend with David Lee Roth, and, yeah. <laughs> and it was. It was just Dana Carvey jumping up and down on a bed as David Lee Roth in like a hotel room, and John Levitz was the guy who won, and he had a little sign that said, "Please help me." <laughs> yes, yeah, that would be my other worry. Um, I, I feel like uh, no, honestly, I might go with David Lee Roth or Van Halen and go with like Panama or something like that. So nice. I feel like that would be very exciting. Yeah, I went with Drop Dead Legs. Okay. All right, we, we're gonna give you. We'll give you Zeppelin. We'll give you that third one. What do you What do you got? Oh, uh, Led Zeppelin. Are probably uh, good. I would just. You have to go with like Dazed and Confused. And oh, like, not... like the twenty minute version of Dazed and Confused. <laughs> <laughs> right, because it's they're in your room, in your living room. You want them there as long as possible. Exactly, which is sort of like stretch it out because it's like it's like a twenty minute song and you know, like on how the West was won. It's like they throw in a bunch of other things. It's like a medley kind of thing, but. Right. It's one song exactly. it counts. It's one track on the CD. Yeah. The, the, the second side of Song Remains the Same is one song. There we go. Yeah, that works too. <laughs> is is Dazed and Confused. Yeah. Or is actually No Quarter, right? They do the 28-minute version of No Quarter. Yeah, I think 
think I would go with Days to Confused. <laughs> yeah, I would too. No Quarter yeah. might be the 28 minute version of No Quarter on Song Remains the Same might be the most gratuitous rock and roll song ever put to vinyl. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely on vinyl. Yeah, I was gonna say there's like the the 20 something minute version of Moby Dick on How the West Was Won, which is yes, it's it's like it's literally like 15 minutes of drum solo. And yes. It's just the worst thing ever, but but it's not on vinyl, so I think yeah. Exactly. Well, uh, Patrick, thanks for taking the time, pal, and uh, we'll definitely we'd love to have you back on this summer, and uh, we'll talk some more Mets and some more music. Yes, thanks for having me on, and I would love to be back anytime. Great, thanks, Patrick Flood. Thanks, Patrick. Uh, SNY blog, SNY uh, Mets blog, uh, Mets blogger, great guy. We love having Patrick on. That was fun, Cal. It's always fun. Hey. Our producer's the best. He puts it on after the segment. The Mets guy. <laughs> He's recapping. <laughs> it's a happy recap. It's a happy recap, yeah. Uh, Cal, uh, so we, we've talked uh, Mets for quite some time. Uh, let's take a couple minutes now to talk uh, uh, Yankees. We talked about the Yankees already. No, no, Yankees-Red Sox, though, because we have... Oh, right. We have a great article up on our website, uh, rtusports.com, uh, written by Daniel Alderondo, who is going to be writing for us uh, weekly, hopefully, making some blog entries. He's a fantastic writer. He's a good writer. He's a very, yeah. very good writer, and uh, he also provides a Yankee fan perspective, Cal. Which he does, are, which is, yeah. Decidedly not. But he wrote a really good uh, he wrote a really good piece. Check it out on our website, and uh, it's just about the Red Sox and the Yankees, uh, first and second place in the AL East, coming into the second half of the season. Cal, and guess what? What? He likes the Red Sox. I know. I was surprised when I saw that. I was shocked. Shocked. He had some, he had some good points, but it's very rare that you see a a Yankee fan. Uh, acquiesce to the Red Sox like that. Well, let's take... Let, I think his best point, uh, and he, he does have some excellent points, not you know, not the least of which is the fact that A-Rod just went under the knife for four to six weeks with a torn meniscus, and that's a, a bigger loss to the Yankees than you would think. Uh, but, the, but the other point that he made was about pitching. I mean, it's pitching, pitching, pitching. And he does not see the Yankees' secondary pitchers being able to hold up down the stretch. He also brought up the schedule. Which is a really great point, right? Uh, especially the schedule in September for the Yankees gets very difficult. Uh, so for those reasons, he still thinks the Yankees will win the wild card. Don't get let's not get crazy. <laughs> let's not everybody just slow down here, right? But uh, but it's some interesting points there, Cal. Do you agree with him? Do you see the Red Sox taking the AL East? I don't know. I think it's going to be real close coming coming down the stretch. Um, I wouldn't surprise me if the Red Sox take the East, but it also wouldn't surprise me if the Yankees go out and make a trade to improve that rotation in a couple of weeks. Right, and that, and that was the unforeseen uh, factor that Daniel talked about, that you can't, you can't you know, control for the Yankees going out and getting a guy uh, at the deadline. But here's, here's what I want to say about the Yankees, Cal, and that is got to give them credit for where they are right now. I really thought this team was – I thought they'd be like maybe 10 games over or – you know, I really did not think they would have as good a first half as they as they did with that pitching staff. And it's a credit to 
uh, Bartolo Colon, who's pitched brilliantly. It's a credit to, uh, uh, you know, Fre- uh, Freddie Garcia, the back end guys who have done a great job. Uh, it's also, you know, Curtis Granderson is having a fantastic year. I mean, a silly fantastic year. He seems like he's got it. He's comfortable in New York. Yeah, does he still struggle against left-handers? Yeah, of course. But he's going... But not nearly as much. Not nearly as much. And I got to tip the cap to Joe Girardi, too, for handling the Derek Jeter saga uh, with the contract and Jeter's diminished skills, and then he goes on the DL for only the second time in his career, and the 3,000 hits... And A-Rod's now going to have surgery, and he's got a rotation. You know, A.J. Burnett, they've stuck with. They lost Phil Hughes. They lost Jabba Chamberlain. Dave Robertson has come on to be one of the best setup men in baseball right now. Uh, and Joe Girardi's done a magnificent job with this team. And, and I'm he not has. a fan of his as a manager. No, no, he's, he's done a real good job uh, keeping this team together. Um, the other thing that you were talking about, the pitching staff and, and Bartolo Colon and Freddie Garcia, give a lot of credit to CC Sabathia, who's having just a, a phenomenal, phenomenal year and just continuously puts the, this team on his back when they need him to and, and, and will go out there and throw you eight or even nine innings, you know, which takes a lot of pressure off the rest of the staff. Yeah. You never have to worry about it when every, every five days, you know, you're going to win that. You have a shot at winning that game. And it takes a lot of pressure off of off of the Colognes and the Garcias and and maybe even the returning Phil Hughes. No, absolutely, and and I and I think you know Daniel talked a little bit about it that uh, the Yankees have uh, overachieved. I mean, I think they've overachieved so far in the first half. It's difficult to say that about a team that's you know a team that 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 has a two hundred million dollar payroll or whatever, but. I think they've overachieved. I think they've been better than I thought they were going to be. Um, And I think they're a much more viable playoff team. And, of course, they do need to make a move. I still think unless Phil Hughes comes back and is some sort of second or third rotation guy that you can count on in a playoff series, I think they're a much more viable team uh, for a playoff series than they were coming into the season. Let me throw a name out at you. Um, What about, like, a Ricky Nolasco? On Florida, could you see the Yankees going out and maybe trying to get somebody like him? Sure, absolutely. You know, Annabelle Sanchez. You got to be careful though here, Cal, because um, the commissioner of baseball might tell the Yankees that they can't be too good when they make a trade. So you got to be careful here. That's true. You know, you, you got to be sure careful. You have to make sure there are names going back and forth. And That's that. right. You have to make sure that. No, we tease. We tease our commissioner for our fantasy baseball league because we love. How about? How about Wandy Rodriguez? See, now there's a guy, if I'm the Yankees, I wouldn't touch with a 10-meter cattle prod. Tell me why. And Ghostbusters. Because <laughs> I, I, I don't like – what's he been doing in Houston? He's been he's Nothing. okay. When's he pitched in a big game? What was the last big game Wandy Rodriguez pitched in? I don't know. Exactly. I don't know. <laughs> you don't have that information? I don't. We're – Maybe our producer knows that information. <laughs> I doubt that highly. No. He's probably sitting back yeah. now saying, just, there's a baseball player named Wandy? He just responded, nope. Nope. Negatory, <laughs> good buddy. Negatory. But he's got an electric arm, and I think that you put him on in that rotation. And Don't you, know, you need people who are used to pressure, Cal? Perhaps. 
But you put him behind CeCe Sabathia, and I think CeCe takes a lot of the pressure off him. You put him behind CeCe Sabathia, and nobody can see him. Oh. Hey! Chella Luna, Mette Mare, Mamma Mia. It's a pizza pie. Hey, you set me up for that one. Come on, you know. I know you. I did. That was a layup. Not a layup, but a layup. <laughs> that would have been good timing for that, PJ. It would have been perfect timing for that. <laughs> you had a chance. This is Mark Grace, and you're listening to Ready to Unload with Cal and Sandpete. You are the best producer. Hey, this- Mark Grace Mark Grace was at the All-Star Game last night doing those um, man-on-the-field interviews. It did, was he really? He did, and he interviewed Justin Timberlake. It was okay. funny to see that's where Mark Grace uh, <laughs> was resigned to, out by the pool. Right. Well, oh yeah, oh naturally, that's right, that's right, that's right. That's where I met Mark Grace. That's where yes, I, I at Soundclip. Yes, I know. I know. Yes, <laughs> yes, I'm aware. Yes, I'm aware. And also, you because you, you didn't see it, um, two guys, two closers, who are just batty, just completely you know, off their rocker. Number one is Heath Bell, of the San Diego Padres. I saw the slide. He slid in. He he came sprinting in from the bullpen and slid into the pitcher's mound. Yeah. Um, not showing any bitterness. Finally, for once, which is nice. It seems it's nice that he's let it go. What did he say about the Mets now? He's, he has been bitter to the Mets pretty much every day since since they left. They traded him. Yes. Back in two thousand four, I think two thousand five. Right. Traded for the immortal Ben Johnson. <laughs> and John Atkins. Ben um, Johnson? Ben Johnson. Not the sprinter. The disgraced Canadian sprinter, Ben Johnson. Not what, him. Was it Ben Johnson, former American League president? <laughs> no, it was not Ben Johnson either. Okay. But So anyway, so he felt crazy. But but just taking crazy to a completely other level is Brian Wilson of the oh, San Francisco sure. Giants. Um. At first, he was interview- he was introducing the starting lineups for the team, and when he got to Carlos Beltran, he talked about how you know it'd be great to have him on the Giants, and you know we'd love to have you, buddy. You know we'll make him yeah, make great. you go home. Yeah, great. That's 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 awesome. Jerk. Which was, which was well, I you know I I wasn't as angry as you. Hey, hey worry about your own players. Uh, oh, great bearded one. And then after the game, he was being interviewed by Eric Karros, and Eric Karros asked him about his beard. And Brian Wilson shifted the attention to Eric Karras's hair oh. to get a, get, a, get a shot of his hair. Right. So that's way more interesting than his ridiculous beard. Okay, so you don't like Brian Wilson. Moving Not on. A fan. Not a okay. fan. The jerk store Crazy. called. They're all out of him. I. You know what? I, I I know that his act is is harmless and good fun, and I had a good time with him last year. And fun during the playoff run. It was fun. It's a little much. Now. I've had enough now. Okay? We're all stocked up on crazy pants. Okay? We're good. I think. I think for a little while. Don't don't talk about another guy's team. You know, and taking players from another team. Like, we're we're a AAA organization that you're just going to take from. Because you won one little World Series. All right? Take it easy, guy. Right, really. You don't get to just pluck players. You want that? Go to the Yankees. Get traded to the Yankees. Then you can talk that way. Enough now. The jerk store called. They're all out of Brian Wilson. 
Sorry. <laughs> there, there's a this this is this is Cal right now. Uh, we are, of course are video conferencing, and this is the look that Cal has on. You look like you just want to end the show because, what, Brian Wilson in your living room? Just going for the awkward silence of the moment. Nailed it. <laughs> Book club. Ah, uh, anyway, uh, I think the Yankees are going to win the AL East. I think the Red Sox will be the wild card. So I think he's wrong. I think it'll be flipped. But I think well, I'm, I'm not going to tell him. It, <laughs> I think it speaks to uh, either way. It's it's a really good read, and you should check it out. But I think it speaks to, and we had talked about this in the past, Cal. It's the problem with the playoffs. Problem is what's the problem? There's nothing to be gained by winning the AL East for these teams. Not right. No, not right now. But they're talking about uh, the second wild card next year, which would change that. I think. Well, what good does that do us this year? It does us no good, but if this were next year, we would be right in the thick of things. Would you want the second wild card? How do you feel about the second wild card? I li- it depends on how they do it. I like the concept of it. I like the concept of making the division winners uh, more important again. And I well, like the, the, con- the pl- I'm sorry, Cal. What's the plan? I don't know what the plan is. They haven't really talked about it, but but they've you know, right now they take one wild card per league. And what they would do is they would give the division winners a bye in the first round, and they would have the two wild cards play each other. There's been talk that it would be a one-game playoff or a three-game playoff, and then the wild cards would would meet each other in a, in a winner-take-all situation, and then they would move on to the, the next round of the playoffs where they play the division winners. So. Right. <clears throat> do you have to add? We talked about this, but have you? Do you have to add another wild card? Can't you just make the wild card round only one home game for the wild card winner? That's a way to do it too. And four home games for the division winner. Or, or it's home field advantage not enough of a. Of I don't a, think it's. I don't think it's enough of of a of an advantage to to get teams to play. In September, like, if games are meaningless, like last year with the with the Yankees and the Rays. Right. Well, this has happened like the last couple of years, right? In the AL East. Um, I think it happened one once before with the Yankees and the Red Sox. You're right. Right. Where they went down to the final weekend of the season, and who cared? Right. Yeah. No, they got. They have to do something to address that because that's just. Um, I don't like that. Do you think that the dollars involved, Cal, with the second wild card team, will ultimately rule the day over like a more Keeping the the four playoff teams, but having a, a solution like the four home games for the division winner, it's got to win out, right? It's it's gotta, you know, it's gotta. I just think that, um, I mean, you hear all kinds of things tossed around where you hear the, you hear all sorts of crazy things. I I don't Especially know what the kids Felix, are talking about. Felix been drinking. Give Six, uh, our teams and a bye. <laughs> Uh, put the a team Brewers. in the American League <laughs> for the Brewers only. If the Brewers get in, they get a bye. <laughs> I don't know. 
<laughs> you don't think you'd be able to do that, do you? I, 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 I don't know. Well, uh, with that being said... Time for a fun What time is it, Cal? Not sure. It might be time for the fun load. <laughs> Somebody's getting a little greedy with his uh, his little clips here. I'm done. It's over. It's time for the fun load, baby. And you know what, Peach? You really gave 110% on making that clip. Yeah, you really sure. did. You were a te- you were a team player. You are so nice to me. I was gonna, I was gonna tweak it today. I was gonna add some, uh, some new things. See if you could pick them out. Did you notice the, uh, the Partridge Family harpsichord <laughs> that comes in right in the middle? Listen for I, it next time, you. I, I, I will. But you really brought your A game, Cal. Right? I did. Yeah. No, I did. And, and you know, it, it's really a team effort. I got to give credit to my teammates and 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 the good Lord above. Also. It really is, and I know that that PJ just takes it one sound clip at a time. I come and the, to play. The good Lord above, he will be able to make that sound clip work. Like Folks, we're, uh, tonight in the fun love, we're going to talk about sports cliches. Uh, and I, I sent the boys today a uh, the top ten sports cliches that need to go away. Did you guys get that? I did. Uh, what, what was your take on that? Were there any that were uh, unbelievably egregious that you totally agree with? They have to go away? That need to go away? Yeah. I'm, let me keep quiet for a second. <laughs> Why? I'd like to hear what you have to say about this. Well, I think I need to defend sports cliches. So... I'm gonna I'm gonna sit back and eat some peanut butter while you tear them apart. <laughs> Why is the peanut butter germane to this discussion? Okay, here's here are uh, ten off off the list. All right, that need to go away. Number ten, world champions. Number nine, he's got. Uh, this is a different one. This is an ESPN one I found. Oh. Number nine, he's got a great work ethic. Number eight, they they just wanted it more. Ew. Uh, number seven, tremendous <laughs> upside. See, there's no way tremendous upside should go away. That's a great sports cliche. I like that one. Yeah, number six, they stepped it up. That is pretty bad. Make number five, they took it to the next level. Stupid. It is stupid. Number four, play within ourselves. Oh. <laughs> Number three, she came to play, or he came to play, or they played their game. And number two, he gave 110%. That's number two. And number one, we're just taking it one game at a time. Don't like it. Now, what about Obvious Land? 
<laughs> Welcome to Obvious Land, the land of the obvious. There it is. <laughs> now, a couple things on sports cliches. I was trying desperately today, and so was PJ Cal, to find the Bull Durham, to find that wave of Bull Durham when Crash Davis is teaching Nuke Lelouch his cliches. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For his interviews, you got to learn them. You got to memorize them. You got to write them down. You know, I just want to help the ball club in any way I can. Right. <laughs> the best is when, you know, Tim Robbins as Nuke Lelouch looks up and he's like, I know, it's terrible. Just write it down. <laughs> um, but, Cal, we live in a town. We talked about the guy earlier tonight a lot. Uh, where there's one professional athlete who is Captain Cliché. Um, and every interview he gives, he gives the most cliched answers you have ever heard in your life. Right. I have two questions for you. One, does the sports cliché bother you that much? And two, and a, a, does the sports question bother you that much? And B... <laughs> Does it going on A? Does it depend on who's using it? I'm still waiting. A and B. Just to get that in. Okay, now answer okay, my. So, so does does the sports cliche bother me? No, it doesn't bother me. Does does it bother me when people ask themselves questions and then answer them? Yeah, that kind of bothers me. <laughs> that was brilliant. But the sports cliche, not so much. <laughs> and then what was your other question? Would, does it matter on who uses it? Wait, I, we got to go back to what you just said. Wait, what? You, you just brought up one of the, the ultimate cliches that's used in broadcasting, and we've been guilty of it on, on this show occasionally. We don't nearly use the uh, conceit as often as some people do. No, not what, that much. Why don't you say that again? What say what again? What that um what am I going to, am I going to ask myself a question and then give you an answer for it right away? Yeah, I'm going to do that. <laughs> do you think that that's a bad idea? No, I don't think it's a bad idea. Delightful. That's that I mean, is you could you could pretty wow. much just spend an hour and a half doing that. And just going in circles. You just drove the fun load off into Caltown. And now, now we have to talk about this. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I didn't, I didn't mean to. This to... Topic. <laughs> you, it, it, you're absolutely right. It's the worst broadcasting cliche that there is. But, Cal, you go back with this, as far as I go, with a guy named Ian Eagle. Yeah. Who does football games for the Jets on the radio, but also used to work on WFAN here in New York. And this was Iron Eagle's entire shtick. Oh, yeah. And it was usually, you know, uh, answered by, am I going to trade away my best player the day of the draft? Probably not. That's something the Jets would do. Right. <laughs> His tagline was always, that's something the Jets would do. Am I going to take a leak on my own leg <laughs> and just let the urine run down to my feet into my shoes? Probably not. 
That's something the Jets would do. Bob Wischusen used to do a lot of that, too. Bob Wischusen, too. That's right. He still does. Uh, that Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Maybe I'm thinking of Wischusen. No, no, no. It was, it was Iron Eagle, for sure. But Bob Wischusen came after him, and he sounded just like him. It was almost like he, he mimicked Iron Eagle. Okay, so let's ask the non-sports junkie, uh, pop culture PJ. Yes. You see this? You see this sort of approach in other forms of broadcasting, do you not? The the question and answer. Yeah, the self sure, question I think it's a, and answer. I think it's a form of self editing when you're doing that sort of uh, extemporaneous. I think it's just showy. I think it's just look at me, look at me. I think it's lazy. <laughs> I think it's all of these things. <laughs> Do I think it's lazy to ask yourself a question and then answer it right away? Yeah, I probably do. But the fact remains that that's the way you have to do it when you're broadcasting alone. That's something the Jets would do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we got that out of the way. I hate that too, Cal. And you know what? Let's make a let's make a pact. Okay. Because I I don't think we've done it often on this show. No. Well, I'm I am very aware of it, to the point where I I I know not to do it. See, I used to do it a lot. And now I realize. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's a crutch. I still do it, huh? And you and and you, you have absolutely no reason to do it because you have two people that you're talking to right now. <laughs> you don't have to answer your own question. <laughs> at, least, at least at least at least I Eagle was working by himself. <laughs> when I do it I'm ignoring two people. Okay, back to, So I will try to stop doing that. I apologize. Back to sports cliches now. So you said that they don't bother you a ton. No. But I ask you does I asked you does that depend though on usage when it's a revered sportscaster who's using some of the worst cliches possible. Isn't that lazy? Shouldn't they do a better job? I guess it depends on the situation. So there there are some situations, some schmaltzy, over-the-top celebrations, for example, that call for like a really cheesy cliche just to kind of drive the picture home. You know? Um, the one example that I think of all the time and it's not a cliche. Or maybe it is a cliche, but it, but he delivered it in such an uncliche way. Was when um, the ball went through Bill Buckner's legs in 1986, and Vin Scully kind of just let the picture speak for itself. Didn't say a word for maybe two or three minutes, and then he came on with, "If a picture is worth a thousand words, then you have seen a million words." You know, like and. That was like, it was cheesy, but it, it fit the moment perfectly, you know? And I had no problem with that. I I, I think that's, but that was, wasn't that taking a cliche and making it his own? It was, well, that's what I said. It was kind of, it was, it was a cliche, but it didn't come across as a cliche, you know? Like he delivered it in a really, in, in, in an appropriate way for the moment. Do you okay, guys you know. believe that there's a there's a different perhaps a different set of rules from when a broadcaster uses them as opposed to when a uh, ball player uses them? That's a that's an excellent question, and I I I do because look, do we make fun of Derek Jeter for being Captain Cliche, but the truth of the matter is you can get in a lot of trouble in this town if you say what's on your mind. 
Right. And Derek Jeter has done a really good job over the last 16 years of not getting himself in trouble yep. with the media by saying what's on his mind. And we've seen it already with David Wright. We've seen when David Wright, who is a darling in the media, says what's on his mind as opposed to gives the cliched answer. Now, and and he's, he's usually better off giving the cliched answer. Now, that being said, sometimes David Wright gets killed for giving the cliched answer. So it's a sort of catch-22 in this town with this media. But overall, I prefer an athlete who's genuine. You don't have to be Brian Wilson. dun 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 but you can be genuine and not be a ridiculously cliched person and, and literally say every night for 16 years, we just got to play them one game at a time. All right, so let me ask you a question. Charles Barkley, what's your opinion on him? As a player, as a commentator. As a commentator. Two separate careers. Okay, as a commentator, clearly does not uh, use a cliche in the book, speaks what's on his mind. You're okay with that. Yeah, to a degree. I mean, that does, just because you're not using cliches doesn't mean you should say out, outrageously racist or, you know. Well, that's, you, you can't get away with that just because you're not using a cliche. Well, but he gets I a lot of credit. Racist rant should be the new cliche. <laughs> the racist rant is the new cliche. It's that's the new, the new black. cliche. It's the new black. Wait a minute. Can I the even say that? Oh, boy. Sure. Careful. Fix it in post. <laughs> Um, no, but I, I, I think that Barkley is very refreshing. I think he says what's on his mind. I also like how Barkley takes other commentators to task. I like that, too. When he was told that he shouldn't be doing the NCAA tournament. He said, what, what, are you kidding me? How many games did you ever play in, in the NCAAs? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so I, I like Barkley. Now, as a player, again, there's a fine line. You don't have to give me the most in-depth details of what's going on in the locker room. Or the fact that, you know, what's-his-name has a 17-inch schlong. I don't need I don't need that. Oh. No. Oh. No. You know what I mean? Like, intimate details of the locker room, I don't need that. You know, <clears throat> he probably played great uh, today because uh, he was with a girl last night. I, I don't need that. That's okay. I'm good. But you don't get that. No. But I also... Well, I'm going to turn off the computer <laughs> in my daughter's room. One second, please. <laughs> What did he say? <laughs> he said he's going to go turn off the computer in his daughter's room because she's his 10-year-old daughter is listening to the show, and apparently I, I've made it uh, RTU after dark. Good job. It's 11 o'clock, though. Shouldn't she be sleeping? Yeah, it's 11 o'clock. What is your 10-year-old doing awake? She likes coffee. <laughs> anyway, the sports cliche, I think, has its place for the athlete, but it shouldn't be the go-to for the athlete. If I ask you a question that's a good question, give me a good, solid answer. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, just give me a good, solid answer. Now, the the other thing that we see all the time, Cal, is that these guys and girls in professional sports deal with a lot of stupid questions. Well, it's almost as if the media is trying to set them up. Right. So I would re- I would refer to or resort to the cliche when I am asked a stupid question. I think were I a professional athlete. Well, that's where and that's kind of like what Patrick Flood was talking about with Sandy Alderson. You know, he's the smartest guy in the room. So if somebody tries to 
appear smarter than him or, or hang on his level, he puts them in their place with, with a cliched answer or some sort of some witty remark. You know, right. but he handles but he handles it intelligently. Right. It's hard for some of these athletes to do. Let me run these. Let me run these by you guys, all right? And tell me if it needs to go or it's uh, it's okay. Are you ready? Okay. <clears throat> Describing someone as a team player. Even I don't like that one. Gotta go. Okay. Defense wins championships. <laughs> now I, 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 I still think that's, that that's one I defend because I I understand so little of what I'm seeing. I I think to me that's like elucidation. I uh, right. It makes sense for the for the not sports junkie. Yeah. Okay. I'll take so, it in no. football, but no other sport. Not basketball. No. Wow. All right. So cow will allow it in football and no other sport. Okay. Well, are you saying that they say that and it's not true? I say that it it is most true in football. I don't think that it's it's that true in basketball. And I haven't heard it in basketball that much, actually. Really? Have you? you yeah, a ton. Really? Oh. oh, yeah. So, I mean, what do we always hear about Mike De, uh, D'Antoni and how he'll never win a championship? Well, that's right, because defense wins championships. You know, if it's overused and it's true, I'd say leave it alone. But if it's overused and patently false, well, then you should walk away from it. What if All right. Patently not patently. Oh, God, I am terrible. No, but I, I, I agree. I'm going to go with Cal on this one. It's really only tremendously true in football, I think. Yeah. I, I think for the other ones, it's it's too much of a simplification. All right, this one. What else? Guys, this one drives me absolutely bonkers, and if I never heard it again, I would be a happy man. It was a gutsy performance. Performance. He was brave. He was courageous. Uh, courageous. I, I I can't stand that. I can't stand brave or courageous. Uh, I'm sorry. Not when it, not when it comes to sports. Not not in sports. Nope. You know, I, this and th- this goes along with my other one that uh, he's especially in a time of war, when the country is at war. Okay, there are people being brave and courageous every day in Afghanistan and Iraq. Okay, a guy who faces a ninety-five mile an hour fastball and tries to hit it with a stick, or or, or worse, a guy who steps up to a golf ball and tries to hit it with a crooked stick, is not courageous. Okay? Mm-hmm. Unless there are landmines on the 14th... You might have been having a bad week. <laughs> Again, that one, I can... That, that's uh, akin for me to comparing any game to a war. Or when I hear a football player say, it's a war out there. No, actually, there's a real one going on. And you're not in it. And we could, <laughs> we could send you over there. You know, you you should be thankful you're not fighting in it. So that one, that one to me needs to go away. I don't know about that. Why? I wouldn't. I wouldn't censor a player from 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 saying it's a war out there. When there's a real war going on, I would admonish the broadcasters not to use brave and courageous faster than I would than I would tell uh, a player who just came off the field. 
who's probably still kind of flush with it, that it was a war out there. Because they're All really right. in the moment. You're, you're in right. the moment. You're heated up. Can they at least say it was like a war out there, please? Like? Can she say he was like? How about a kin? <laughs> it was akin to a war out there. <laughs> we'll, we'll try to introduce that. Let's see. <laughs> this is when yeah, football players come come off the field and wax poetic. Right. <laughs> All right, another one. Oh, Cal, you're going to hate this one. I don't know if this is necessarily a sports cliche, but it is used a lot. This goes back to the asking a question and answering it yourself. At the end of the day. That's from Les Miserables. Yeah. Oh, I, th- I thought there was more coming. No, no. Just using at the end of the day. At the end of the day. Yeah, that's kind of ridiculous. To segue. Well, remember when we first started doing the show, we had the at the end of the day rule. That we Because we were using it so much, we had to stop using it. Oh, that's true. Yeah, well, then that proves the point that it is a cliche. Yeah. <clears throat> that that uh, now when I listen to a certain uh, duo in New York, at the end of the day, bro, bro, no doubt about it. That's at the a, end of the day, no, all the love, bro. No doubt about it, Cal. It's just Stella. I mean, come on, it's Stella. <laughs> they use no doubt about it at least forty or fifty times an hour. Yeah, they do. He, the one guy, Joe Beningo, tags it with everything he says. No doubt about it. He's doing an interview. He's like, you guys did a great job yesterday in the game. No doubt about it. Uh, right. No doubt about it. At the end of the day, oh, my gosh. You know what? That's like you, my bingo-bango a... phase. Remember my bingo-bango phase? <laughs> I did fondly. I fondly recall that. Thank you. How'd you like if I did that? I would love it if you said bingo bango at the end of everything you said. All right, coming. <laughs> I I missed the original phase because so you could bring it back for my sake. Not a problem. Okay, how about this one, guys? He came to play. We talked about that one before. Sure, he did. Good job. <laughs> he brought a bag. I should hope. He took a cab. Uh, giving one hundred and ten percent just. Uh, it's so obvious that it should never be used again. <laughs> uh, we're taking it one game at a time. Talked about it. Again, is is there any other way to, to take it? Are you going to play seven games at a time? You can't, can't really do that. Now, if you have a doubleheader the next day, can you say, we're just going to take it two games at a time? <laughs> That's the only time you can do that. You could. And I'm going to I'm going to end this fun load guys with this question. The no oh, wait, but before you, before you end it, I want to throw one in. Go ahead. Okay, and I'm and I'm totally stealing this from the great website sportscliche.com which you had sent to us earlier. Yes. Uh and they talk about the phrase no question about it. That's no another, question about. It. This is another beningoism. <laughs> and I'm going to and I'm going to read read to you what they say. So the quote is He's the best quarterback of all time. There's no question about it. And they say, this comment might occur during an extended sports talk show devoted to this highly subjective and almost impossible to quantify topic. If there's no question about it, why are we even having this discussion? 
can't answer that, bro. The speaker is convinced. There you go. And also, the speaker doesn't want to argue. <laughs> but why? What, is, then, then why have the conversation? Well, this is why I defend sports cliches. <laughs> All right. I believe you need a common parlance with which to to talk about these things, and that that's why the sports cliches fill that void so quickly and so often. Right, but isn't there a difference between a common, uh, you know, jargon or, or parlance or whatever that's related to the game itself, and then a common uh, uh, or, or overextending that into talking about the game or players? Saying there's no question about it in a sports discussion is absolutely ridiculous, and I've said it. I'm guilty of it, and it, it really is ridiculous. It's a way of just, of just ending the conversation, right? Throwing a line, holding your ground. <clears throat> then, then, then the phrase should be, "He's the best quarterback of all time," in my opinion. Right. Please don't hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. He's the best quarterback of all time. There's no question about it. It's it's oh, defensive well. speech. That's all. The, the, whoever's yeah. saying it doesn't want to be piled on. But isn't that a bit problematic on a sports talk show? I don't know. What's wrong with you people? Why can't you be nice to each other? <laughs> I don't know. Try it. There's no question about it. He's the best quarterback. There's no question about it. Okay. I think there on. is. All you have to say is, I think you're wrong. Well, I just said there's no question about it. Period. So what you Bingo, think bango. doesn't matter. <laughs> End of discussion. You lose. Good day, sir. You get nothing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, that's a great one, Cal. And, I, and I'm going to bring, it, yeah, I'm going to bring it home with this one, fellas, so we can really get on each other's nerves. The number one uh, on this other site, this uh, BuzzPirates.com site, the bottom ten worst sports cliches. Anything relating to God being the reason someone either performed well or a team won. Now they're they're now. <laughs> this is interesting. Be careful. I wouldn't call it a cliche. You don't think it's cliche? What would you call it? Um, that's an interesting take. Get... That's that's an interesting take, though. That 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 you wouldn't count that as a sports cliche. When they got somebody in the locker room and they've had a great game and they say, "I just want to thank God and Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior," and they do the whole thing. Yeah, I think it's common. But isn't that the definition of a cliche? No. What? <laughs> <laughs> There's no question about it. There's no question. Oh, about it. he used it against me. <laughs> no, but uh, cliche means it's it's uh, something that's overused, right? Correct. It's a common saying or or common uh, usage that's overused in this case. So I this think, could yeah, be... I think you have a loophole when uh, personal religion is involved. Okay, that's uh, and I'm not saying that it shouldn't. My contention would never be that it shouldn't be there. My contention is that it's overused. Now, there's the classic, 
you know, there's the the classic comedian who says, how come nobody ever is mad at God when they lose? Right. Or says, you know, <laughs> gets angry uh, at, at Jesus when they lose. And you had the the famous case last year of the wide receiver, Steve Johnson, Steve Johnson, Cal, for the Buffalo Bills. Steve Johnson, yeah. Who, after dropping what would have been the game-winning touchdown pass, in a in a in an overtime game against the Steelers, actually tweeted, "I give you praise. I do all these things. How could you let this happen to me?" <laughs> and it was like the first example of like somebody saying, "Like, you know, you're there for me when we win. You should be there when we lose." That's unique. That was unique, and I thought now. So I think this could be because you're right. It's probably not a cliche. Could be a whole separate fun load topic, though. Maybe we could do that after the All Star fun load. <laughs> you think maybe? No question about it, Cal. <laughs> no question so about it. So many athletes. So many athletes um, are very quick to um, give credit to a higher power, let's say, than to their own athletic ability. Well, I, I see it differently in different sports. Like with a football player, I, I, I just I can understand with the violence that goes on in a football game. I can understand a football player more readily praying after a game or accepting a higher powers and control and kept them safe or something to that effect than I can in a baseball game. I don't know. Maybe it's just the nature of the sport. I don't know. I, I, I would never begrudge anybody ever thanking God or Jesus or Allah or whoever they want to thank. My question is, is, is it too much when you're thanking him after, you know, you go two for four in a game in May? <laughs> you know, like... Little, it's a little overused. It's a little, it's a little it's overdone. A, Let's it, save it for know, the playoffs. <laughs> when, you're, when you're doing the sign of the cross every time you get a base hit... I mean, now, again, I guess you can't really do anything with that, right, Cal? I don't know. And and it just it just seems disingenuous when the next week you're arrested for a DUI. Or, uh, <laughs> that's a whole other story. You know, or, or adultery or adulterous affair. <laughs> that's, that's true, cliche. yeah. Ath- athletes doing perp walks. That's cliche. That's right. Mug shots. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. No, absolutely. He's He's a good citizen. That's a sports cliche. Uh, well, we could we could do the, the the God thing another time, but I I've always uh, I, we could do the God thing another time. Boy, if I could just make things a touch more serious, that'd be great. Maybe Sunday. Uh, uh, maybe maybe we'll do it on Sunday around ten thirty a.m. Dominus, um, I Dominus, I miss or Saturday it. if that helps. Yeah, or Saturday mass maybe about six. Whichever. We could do it about six o'clock. The Sabbath services. Um, look, uh, to me, sports are uh, cliches are part of sports. They're like a fun part of sports, but there are some that if I never heard them again, it'd be okay. And I think Cal, this has been an enlightening segment for us. I think I would we say I would say so. I'll give credit where credit's due. Has this been an enlightening segment for me, Cal? Probably. Am I going to change my ways and become a better broadcaster and a better partner here on RTU? Probably not. 
That's something the Jets would do. <laughs> oh, by the way, before we go, I just realized, you know what just occurred to me? Who is, who is the master of this? Gumble on Real Sports. Brian Gumble, yeah. At the when he does his little gumbleism or whatever the the moment, minute with gumble, right? Where he does his little monologue, it's all question and answer. You oh, know who's also really who's who's really guilty of it is Lupica when he's on the sports reporters. Oh yeah, he's been doing that for twenty years. No, without a doubt, but he does it in print. <laughs> he does it. In print. <laughs> That's right. Lupica does it in print. Everything, like, did anybody ever see that the Mets were going to have this sort of year? Probably not. <laughs> all right, that is all the time we have on Ready to Unload with Cal and Sam Pete. And, of course, we'd like to first thank our uh, awesome pants producer. Woo! Hey, I didn't do that. So what are you doing? So hot. So hot. No so so hot. Don't touch the button. I wish you wouldn't touch the button. Uh, PJ, uh, thank you for uh, producing once again, and uh, we'll see you next week. All right? You really uh, were a team player. Gave it 110 percent. And uh, thank you God wanna... that this is over. You want to say <laughs> thanks, PJ? We'll talk to you next week, pal. Mmm. Mmm. Chocolate. Uh, Cal. Final unload. My final unload is uh, is just a little advice for Brian Wilson. If you ever find yourself around the RTU studios, kind of look the other direction of Sam Pete. All right, not a fan, Mr. Wilson, not a fan. And my final unload is uh, I'm sorry, Cal. I'm going to give you a real serious one again, but go ahead. Just uh, uh, send out to. Uh, a family member that uh, we lost this past week, uh, my Uncle Babe, who was a true original who passed away last week, and uh, he was the original most interesting man in the world, and uh, he will be greatly missed, and uh, he was a big fan of the show, Cal, big fan of what we were doing, and, and uh, was a great guy, and, and uh, so we certainly will miss him. But uh, a Purple Heart awarded veteran of World War II and uh, a super guy who I didn't even know his name was Frank until I was 13 years old. Thought his name was Babe. <laughs> One of those deals where you get the confirmation check and you're like, who's Frank? Your mother, tells you, your mother tells you that's Uncle Babe, stupid. Anyway, uh, that is all the time we have. Please check out Patrick Flood's blog at patrickfloodblog.com. Also, check out Ted Berg's uh, great baseball show uh, on the SNY.TV. And uh, also, Toby Hyde's Minor League Mets blog is uh, great stuff. Those guys are all doing really good stuff. And uh, next week, Cal, we'll, uh, we'll probably uh, talk about football and the lockout ending. Let's hope. Let's do oh, one, one, one other thing. Follow, uh, follow our new friend Daniel Alderondo at Dan underscore Alderondo on Twitter. And also check out our uh, our website, rtusports.com, for some new content from him. A-L-D-A-R-O-N-D-O. A-L-D-O. No, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody! <laughs>
Don't look at he said. <laughs>